I heard a story this past week about this preacher who was visiting with a farmer who attended his congregation. And uh, in the course of their conversation, the preacher asked the farmer, he said, hey, I got a, I got a hypothetical question for you. If, if God were to bless you with 100 cows, would you be willing to give 50 of those cows back to God to fund the ministry of the church? And the farmer, without hesitation, he was like, man, of course I would. I mean, why would I not do that? If God gave me 100 cows, why would I not give him 50 of them back? And uh, the, the pastor was like, that's awesome. Uh, so let me ask you this. He said, if, if God gave you 50 horses, would you give 10 of them back? And uh, again, the farmer was like, well, of course I would. I mean, if I'm going to give 50 of the cows back, why would I not give 10 horses back? If God blessed me with 50 horses, why would I not give 10 back? Uh, to that, the pastor said, okay, well, um, one more question. He said, if, if God gave you 10 pigs, would you give one of them back? And the farmer thought about that one for a second, and he said, uh, hey, pastor, you know I have 10 pigs, right? You know, we're, we're talking about generosity this morning, and the reality is that it is way easier to be generous in intent than it is in practicality. And that's the truth for all of us. Uh, but th this morning, uh, this is week two of our Advent series, and we're asking the question, um, what child is this? Last week, we talked about how that this child, he's Jesus, he's God, and he is the God of forgiveness. This week, we're going to focus our attention on how he is also the God of generosity, in fact, radical generosity. Uh, if, if I were to ask you the question this morning, what is the most famous verse in all of the Bible? If you're watching online, type it in right now. What is the most famous verse in all the Bible? Somebody tell me. What, what is the most famous verse, you think? Yeah, I don't know why I ever ask questions because my hearing's so bad, all I ever hear is blah, 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 blah. I'm guessing somebody said John 3.16, right? I mean, that, that, yeah, that's the way most people would answer that question, John 3, 16. In fact, uh, for, for most people, even if you don't know much about the Bible, that is a passage of Scripture that you've probably heard before or heard reference before. If you watch football at all, you've probably seen somebody holding a sign that says John 3, 16 on it. And so, uh, in fact, if, if, you don't, if, you, if you know the Bible but you don't have much of it memorized, this may be the one verse that you do have memorized. Uh, in fact, no, normally, you know, we, we put the passage of Scripture up on the screen, but what I want to do this morning, since this is so familiar, we're just going to recite it, Okay. And I know there may be a word or two that's a little different based on what version or translation you're used to, but I want you to say this passage of Scripture with me, okay? Here we go. Ready? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Yeah. What a great passage of Scripture. Now, I want you to notice that in the most famous passage of Scripture in all of the Bible, that we're told something very important about God. Uh, th this passage tells us that because God loved the world so much that he did what? He gave, yeah. He, he, he gave. Listen, what I want you to understand this morning is that the litmus test to love is that love always gives, now, the truth is, it's possible to give without loving, but it is impossible to love without giving. It's possible 
to, to give without loving. I mean, people do it all the time. We give for all kinds of different reasons. Uh, you know, some people, they're motivated to give by how it'll make them look, you know. It, people, people will think I'm more awesome than I am if they see me give. And so I'm going to do something generous. And then I'm going to put it on Facebook and see how many likes I can get. And so people give to make themselves look good. Uh, other people give maybe because it benefits them in some way. You know, the reality is when we give, we get a tax break if we give to a charitable cause or something like that. And so we give uh, based on how it benefits us. Some people give based on what they get in return. You know, I give something to you, and so it's just kind of expected that you're going to give something to me back. Uh, by the way, Brett, we need to talk because I think we've had that. It no, I'm just kidding. Um, but, but, you know, I give because of what it does for me in return. Maybe it makes me feel good when I give. I give, and so it makes me feel good. And so the truth is, it is possible to give without loving. But here's the deal. Again, it is impossible to love without giving. Giving is like the, the, the reflex action of love which is what Christmas is all about, right? As we enter into this season and, and as we look forward to Christmas morning, what we're really celebrating is we're celebrating God's extravagant love which moved him to give the very thing that was most precious to him. You talk about radical generosity. In fact, if, if, if you had to pick one word that describes who God is, I think that you would do very well by using that word generous. We could use lots of words, you know, holy, and of course the Bible tells us that God is love, but, but I think generous is a great word to describe who God is. In fact, that is the theme, that, or one of the themes at least, that runs all throughout the Bible from beginning to end. In fact, if you were to look at some of the key words that are repeated over and over and over in the Bible, um, you would find that, that this, the, the words uh, give or giving is used almost more than any other word, other than like words like and and it and he and she and those kinds of things. But that word, the word give or giving is used 2,162 times in the Bible. And so obviously this is an emphasis of the word of God. If the Bible is anything, it is a book about giving. The heart of God. Remember, uh, we talked about this last week, but one of the reasons that Jesus came was to reveal to us the heart of the Father. And so if you really want to know what God is like, you don't have to look any further than Jesus. And Paul says in Colossians chapter 1 that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And so if you want to know what the heart of God, the character of God is, you don't have to look any further than Jesus because God is like Jesus. He's always been like Jesus. There's never a time he wasn't like Jesus. And so what do we know about Jesus? Well, one of the things we know, especially when it comes to generosity, is that Jesus was the ultimate giver. I mean, come on, you can't give more than everything, which is what Jesus gave. And so Jesus is the ultimate giver. He gave his entire life. And again, Jesus is the revelation of God the Father, but he is also the model of how we are to live our lives, how we were created to live. And so if God the Father, follow me on this, if God the Father is a generous God, revealed to us through the life of his radically generous son, then it just makes sense that as followers of Jesus, we are intended to live lives of radical generosity in order to reveal to a world 
who desperately needs to encounter Jesus, who Jesus is. And so we were created. We, we have a radically generous God who sent his radically generous son who, who demonstrated for us tangibly what it looks like to give and live a life of generosity. And we are intended to follow that example so that we can reveal Christ to the rest of the world. But here's the deal. Unfortunately, radical generosity it's not typically the word that pops into most people's minds when they hear the word Christian or when they think of Christians. It's unfortunate. Unfortunately, what the majority of non-Christians think about when they think of, of Christian are words like hypocrite. You know, unfortunately, we, we've just seen it exposed again. A, a prominent pastor of a mega church in New York City who publicly fell, and so article after article after article about how this, this pastor who's preaching one thing, his life isn't matching up to what he's preaching, and so automatically, hypocrite. We, we think of words like judgmental, you know. Uh, again, you're a hypocrite, you don't live up to it, but you're going to judge what I do. We, we think of words like unaccepting, that man, if you, you vary in any way that you think or the way that you act, then they're not going to accept you. What if, wouldn't, wouldn't it be cool if whenever your name came up, whenever my name came up, whenever, whenever anybody saw that CP logo on the back of your vehicle, wouldn't it be cool if the first thing that popped into to a person's mind was radical generosity? Man, those, those are the people who love to give. Those are the people who are always doing something for other people. Those are the ones who are always serving in their community. They're so kind. They're so generous. Wouldn't that be awesome if that was the first thing that popped into people's minds? Listen, as followers of Jesus, that is how we're intended to live. That's how we're designed to live. We serve a radically generous God, and we've been given this radical, uh, generous model of Jesus. And, and we have been called to follow his example and live lives of radical generosity. And so here's what I want to do this morning, and the time we have remaining is I just want to give you four reasons why, from Scripture, why anyone who calls themselves a follower of Jesus must live a life of radical generosity. Why, why it's so awesome to live that way. Number one is this. We're going to just jump right in. Number one, living a life of radical generosity makes us more like Jesus. That, that's the goal, right? I mean, to be like Jesus. In fact, that is the essence of discipleship. I think one of the mistakes that we've made in the church is that we have tried to make discipleship into a program or, or we've, we've tried to reduce it to, um, you know, a class or a series of classes when at its core, discipleship is simply copying Jesus. <laughs> that, that's what discipleship is at its core. It's just copying Jesus. In fact, a, a disciple, by definition, is simply somebody who studies and learns from and then begins to live out their life you know, they, they have the same mindset, hold the same priorities, the same values as their teacher. That's what it means to be a disciple. And, and so if it's our goal to be disciples of Jesus, listen, there is never a time when we are more like Jesus than when we live lives of radical generosity. Never a time when we're more like Jesus. 
Because again, if God is anything, he is a generous God who doesn't hold back in giving good gifts to his children. In fact, I I want you to look at what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. And I want you to pay uh, particular attention to the language that Paul chooses to use here. He says, now to him, Jesus, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more. One translation says it like this. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly more than anything we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. You see, what Paul is trying to help us understand here is that because of the generous nature of God, he is a God who loves to do not just barely enough. No, he is the God who loves to do immeasurably, abundantly, exceedingly more. That is a woohoo, yeah. John talks about this too in uh, first chapter, or first John chapter three. And, and again, I want you to notice the language that he chooses. He says, "How great is the love the Father has what lavished on us." Again, you see what John is doing here, he's trying to paint a picture of a father who isn't stingy, who isn't like, okay, you need this, and I'm just going to barely give you enough. That, That is not the way that God operates. Instead, because he is the God of radical generosity, John says that what he loves to do is he loves to lavish his children. That, that, that word lavish is a word that means to give in extravagant quantities. In other words, no holds barred. He, he, he just loves to give over-the-top giving. Listen, what I want you to understand this morning is that that is God's heart towards you. Way too often, when we think of God, we think about a God who wants to take from us, he requires from us, he demands from us, when the reality is he is a generous God who wants to lavish his love, wants to lavish his blessings upon you. God is a God who loves to give good gifts to his children. You see, our problem is sometimes we tend to view life rather than as lavish children, instead... We tend to view life more like spoiled children. Come on, it's true. And what I mean by that is that we're blessed. Every single one of us that's watching online, every single one of us that is here today, we're blessed, we've been blessed, but the temptation is, rather than seeing all that God has blessed us with, instead, we tend to focus on what we don't have. It kind of reminds me of uh, when, when we, we lived in, in Spring Hill, Kansas, and um, Laura and I, when we moved there, we built our very first home. And um, it was, to us, it was kind of like our dream home, you know. It was in, a, it was in uh, Spring Hill's a little community, and there was a new area, so it was a nice area of town. 
And uh, we had always lived in rental places up to that point and, and couldn't afford a whole lot. But God just blessed us and we were able to buy this place. And you know, it was a, a five-bedroom, two-story, 2,700-square-foot home. And it was just kind of it was our dream home. We raised our kids in that home for the most part. And uh, when our son turned, I don't know, 13, 14, something like that, uh, we, we wound up, God blessed us and helped us. We were able to put him in a private Christian school. And he'd been struggling a little bit in public school, and so we thought that this is the direction we should go. And again, it was something that God blessed us with. Um, we, we, we couldn't afford it, and yet um, the, the school gave us a, a somewhat of a scholarship that helped us. Our parents helped us out, and then between that and then what we could do, we were able to put him in this school. Well, the school was in Johnson County, Kansas which at the time was like, I think, the fourth richest county in all of the United States, a very wealthy area. And so uh, the, the majority of kids that attend this school came from very, very wealthy families. And so here I was, I had this old green Chrysler. I don't even know what kind of a Chrysler it was, but, you know, rattle and boom and backfire and smoke and all that kind of stuff. And so I would take Noah to school in this old green Chrysler, and, like, the high school kids would pull in in Mercedes and BMWs and Corvettes and that kind of thing. And, and, and Noah, as he got there, he made friends, and he would go over to, to their houses, and he went over to one friend's house, and he came home, and he said, Dad, they have an elevator in their house. I mean, huge houses. And I'll never forget, one day we were driving, and Noah looked over at me, and he said, Dad, are we poor? And I'm like, where did that come from? You, you see, perspective is an interesting thing. What he was seeing was not all that he had. What he was seeing was what others had that he didn't have. And the reality is that all of us are tempted to kind of fall into that type of thinking when the reality is every single one of us, whether you're watching online, you're here today, we have been blessed by God. In fact, here's the truth. When you look at the grand scheme of things, and again, you know, for us in that, in that environment, all Noah could see was the Johnson County comparison. But, but when we look at things in the greater scheme of the world, if you slept in a warm place last night, if, if you had a warm meal to eat, if you've got a place to go to work, if you've if, if you got clothes to wear, if you've got shoes to wear on your feet, come on, you are blessed by God, far more blessed than so many in this world. In fact, there are many in Lincoln who couldn't say that. And so you have been blessed by God. And so here's the deal. As recipients of God's extravagant love and radical generosity and as children of God who are, who are created to reflect his image, that means that you and I were created to live lives of radical generosity with whatever it is that we have. And when we do that, there is never a time when we're more like Jesus. Than when we give. So that's number one. Living a life of radical generosity makes us more like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus, don't you? Number two, living a life of radical generosity draws us closer to Jesus. It not only makes us more like Jesus, it draws us closer to Jesus. In fact, Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 7 makes this simple but profound statement. He says this. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. So, so let me ask you this this morning. Where is your heart? Just think about that for a second. Please, please don't answer it out loud, but think about that for a second. And before you answer that, 
If you're not sure what the answer is, or if you think you know what the answer is, one of the things that I think where we can get deceived, I read this statistic this past week, is that most of us in the area of generosity, we see ourselves as way more generous than we really are. And so you want to know where you're living in this? You want to know where your heart is? Let me just say this. You don't have to look any further than your bank statement. Your, your credit card statement, your, your, your checkbook uh, ledger, if you st- still use one of those, your checkbook ledger. Th- this is why developing a habit of being a generous giver is so important because wherever we appropriate our treasure, that is a reflection of what has our affection. And every time we give, every time we give back to God, what happens is, is that as we give him what is most precious to us, it moves us closer to him. It draws us closer to him because that's where our treasure is. We're putting our treasure in his hands. We're entrusting our treasure to him. And listen, here's the deal. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but the reason this is so important is not because, you know, that God is somehow short of funds and he needs our money. That's not the issue at all. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul says that God's riches are unlimited. Come on, he he owns everything already. In fact, there's a story about a rich man who died and he went to heaven. And uh, he, before he died, he took all of his wealth and he had it converted into gold bars. And, and somehow, you know, he took these gold bars, he put them in a suitcase, and somehow he was able to take them with him to heaven. And so he gets to heaven, he's standing there at the pearly gates, Peter is there, and, it, you know, it's unusual for somebody to bring a suitcase to heaven. And, and so Peter says, what's in the suitcase? And so the man, he's real proud, you know, he opens it up and he reveals these gold bars that are in his suitcase. And Peter looks at him and he goes, isn't that cute, you brought pavement? Some of you will get that when you get home, the streets are paved with gold. Come on, hey, the point is this. Thank you, Dane. I wish you were there and helped me with that drum. The point is this. You know, in God's economy, the thing that is most precious to us is pavement in heaven. The, The things that we hold on to. See, it's not an issue that God needs our blessing. It's not an issue that that's what he is after. The issue is what he really wants is he wants you, and what he knows is is that you are tethered to those things. He knows that those things tend to capture our affection, and so when we give, one of the things that happens is it reaffirms for ourselves, it reaffirms, Jesus, you have my heart. When it comes to priorities, you're here, what I have is here, not the other way around. And what, that ha- what happens is the product of that or the byproduct is it draws us closer to Jesus. Every time we give, it draws us closer to Jesus. Number three, living a life of radical generosity strengthens our faith. It not only makes us more like Jesus, draws us closer to Jesus, but it strengthens our faith. Probably one of the most famous passages of Scripture in all of the Bible in regards to giving is found in the Old Testament book of Malachi, chapter 3, verse 10. 
In fact, this is kind of like the go-to verse. Whenever a pastor talks about giving, this is the go-to verse. And so I would be uh, remiss if we didn't look at it this morning. This is God speaking here in Malachi chapter 3. And I want you to listen to what God says. He says, bring the whole tithe. Now, I'm going to pause right there for a second. Maybe uh, you're not sure what that word is. Maybe you've heard that word before, and you know it's a church word that has something to do with money. Um, but but what, what a tithe is, the biblical idea of a tithe, at least, is when we take 10% of our income and we give it back to God. 10% of all that God has given to us. And we've talked about this a number of times. There's nothing that we have that God hasn't given to us. In fact, Paul addresses this. He says, what do you have that, got, that hasn't been given to you? The answer is nothing. And we're tempted to say, well, yeah, well, I worked hard for what I have. Well, the question is, who gave you the ability to work hard? Who, who gave you the intellect to be able to graduate with a degree? Who put the talent in you? Who gave you the physical skill? Everything we have comes from God. And so the biblical idea of the tithe is God has given me all of this, and I give 10% of it back to him. And, and so um, to, in order to fund the ministry of the church is what it's for, the ministry of the kingdom. And so God says, bring the whole tithe. You keep 90%, just give back 10%. Why? So that there will be food in my house. In other words, so that there's enough supply for the ministry of the church to take place. So God says, you keep 90, give me 10, so there's food in my house, and I want you to watch this. God says something here that he says no place else in Scripture. He says, test me on this. Test me on this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. In other words, what God is saying here is when you follow my example, when you live a life of radical generosity, not holding tightly to what you have, but releasing it back to me for the sake of the kingdom, watch what happens. Just watch what I will do in your life. In fact, God says, test me on this. Everywhere else in Scripture it says, don't test God. Don't put, don't put your, the Lord your God to a test. But here in the area of giving, God says, test me. Try me, prove me, I dare you. You give and see if I won't bless you in return. Now listen, th thank you. That is good preaching. I stole it all from the Bible. Amen. One, one of the things that I love about the Bible is that it is a book that is full of promises. If you're not reading it, you're missing out. The, the Bible is full of promises. Promises for protection. Promises for, for, for provision. Promises for purpose. But, but here's the deal. With every promise, there was always a premise. Now, what, what I mean by that is, for every promise, there is always something that is required on our end. In this case, and the truth is pretty much in every case, the premise to receive the promise is faith. God says, you have to step out on faith. You step out on faith and give, and then in faith, trust me, that in response to this tangible act of faith, that I'll take care of your needs. 
This is the way we're intended to live our lives in every area of our lives. You see, our problem is, however, that for most of us, our preference would be, God, you bless me, and then I'll give. The problem with that is twofold. Number one, God blesses us, and sometimes we forget to give. I mean, once it's in our possession, again, it's way easier to be generous and to give in ideology and concept and intent than it is in practicality. And so God blesses us, and and we forget to give, or we don't give back. We want to hold on to what God has given us. But the bigger issue is this, is that if God were to give first, and and sometimes he does that, but, but when God gives first, it totally removes any element of faith and dependence upon Jesus. And so God is like, no, that's not the way that we're going to work this deal. Because, uh, again, it's not about that God is so interested in getting back the blessing. What he's concerned with is he's concerned with the relationship. He's concerned with the trust, the dependence, the faith. And so God says, you give first, you take a step, trusting me, believing me, testing me. Why? Because that requires faith. You see, one of the things about giving, and, and this morning, when, when, we, when I'm talking about giving in this context, I'm not talking about, you know, dropping a 20 in the plate every now and then. I'm talking about giving on a sacrificial level, on a regular basis. But one of the things about giving is, especially sacrificially, is that it not only tests our faith, but when we give generously and sacrificially on a regular basis, it, 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 it's kind of like, like spiritual weight training. It, it, it's it's kind of like, you know, we step out and give, and, and, and then God comes through and provides our needs, and so our faith is strengthened. And so now we have more strength to be able to give more, and we, we give more, and God comes through in a bigger way, and, and, and our faith is strengthened. And, and so what happens is that the thing about faith is if we want it to grow, it can only happen if we exercise it. Faith doesn't grow by intent. It grows by practice. I mean, I have all the best intentions in the world. I have a membership to a health club. Sometimes I think about going there. It doesn't help me. We, 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 faith is like this. It only is strengthened as we exercise it. One of, my, one of my favorite passages of Scripture is found in Proverbs chapter 3, and I, I shared it with you a couple of weeks ago when I shared uh, the, the story about the, the time when Laura and I, we had our own kind of challenge and test of our own faith in the area of giving. And I'm not going to tell the whole story again. If you missed it, you can go back and watch it online. But the bottom line is we were in a position in our lives where uh, we didn't have enough money to pay our own bills. But we made the decision, and we, we wrestled through it. It wasn't an easy decision to make, but we, we made the decision that we were going to continue to honor God in the area of our finances. And so we continued to tithe of the 10, 10% of the little bit that we had. And, and so in doing so, I don't know that we knew this at the time, but we were really practicing Malachi 3. We were putting God to the test. 
And, and I shared uh, that one day, you know, an envelope came in the mail with some money in it, and it had this verse written on this yellow piece of paper, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Great promise, great encouragement, great scripture. But, but what I didn't know then, that I do know now, is that this promise is one of the promises that is directly tied to our giving. You can't stop right there. You've got to continue to read on. The writer of Proverbs goes on in verse 9, and he says, okay, first he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your, on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He'll direct your paths. And in verse 9, he says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Again, it's this idea of out of love and thankfulness, giving back a significant amount of what God has given to you. And when you do that, here's the promise again. He says, honor the Lord with your wealth, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim with new wine. So, so what that saying is, is that when you give to God, is it, is it saying he's going to make you rich? No. This is not the formula of, okay, I want to get rich, I want to accumulate more, so I'm going to give some, some to God, and he's going to give me a whole bunch of money back in return. That's not what it's saying. What it's saying is, is that when you honor God with what he's blessed you with, when you, when you sacrificially give a portion of it back to him, what you'll discover is, is that he will constantly supply all of your needs. That, that, that your barns will be overflowing. In other words, you'll have everything that you need. Not everything you want. If you got everything you want, it wouldn't be good for you. I mean, come on, parents. Do you give your kids everything they want? No, it'll spoil them. It'll ruin them. God gives everything that we need. This is his promise. But listen, it doesn't happen just happen it is an exercise of faith where we step out we honor God we give trusting that he will provide and supply all that we need which leads us to number four this is the last one whenever we give we always get more out of the deal Whenever, whenever we give, we always get more out of the deal. Living a life of radical generosity blesses us in return. In, in fact, in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 9, it says, A generous man will himself be blessed. In Psalm chapter uh, 112, it says, good, men, or good will come to him who is generous, and a righteous man will be remembered forever. Let, let me ask you a question this morning. How do you want to be remembered? I mean, when you're, when you're dead and gone, when they, when they take and they lower your body into the ground and everybody goes back to the church to eat potato salad, whenever we're able to do that again, you know, and people sit around the table and they talk about you, how do you want to be remembered? Amen. Amen. Calvin Coolidge said this, he said, no man is ever honored for what he received in life, he is only honored for what he gave. That's not the Bible, but that's pretty good wisdom. 
No, no man is ever honored for all that he receives and accumulates in life, but he is honored for what he gave. Listen, there, there's not one of us in this room this morning, not one of us who are watching online, who will be honored for what we accumulate in this life. Nobody's going to be like, you know, what I love most about Bill was that he had such a beautiful home. But what I loved most about Sue was, you know, she had really accumulated a killer stock portfolio. None of us will be honored for what we accumulated in life. However, if we are honored, we will be honored for what we gave. The Bible says that we are blessed in return when we're generous to other people. In fact, this is a, a spiritual law of life. It's, it's, a, it's a law that's called the law of sowing and reaping. And whether you realize it or not, we're always sowing and we're always reaping. But here's the deal. It is impossible to reap what you don't sow. We know this in Nebraska, right? You don't plant beans, you don't sow beans hoping to reap corn. We, we reap what we sow. And so this is true in every area of life. The truth is that if in your life, if you're constantly sowing criticism, guess what you're going to reap? Criticism. If, you, if, you're, if you're constantly sowing gossip, guess what? You're going to get back gossip. But if you're giving encouragement, if you're sowing encouragement, you're going to get encouragement back. If you're, if you're sowing kindness, you're going to get kindness back. If you're sowing love, you're going to get love back. And the same is true in this area. If you're sowing generosity, you're going to experience generosity in your own life. The problem is, and this is a sad truth, that many of us miss out on reaping the incredible blessings of God that he wants to pour into our lives from his unlimited resources. Because instead of sowing, instead of living lives of radical generosity, instead we have become so focused on holding on to the little bit that has been given to us. It's kind of, it's kind of like this. Laura, Laura, come up here for a second. I want you to help me with this. Give Laura a hand, isn't she awesome? Yeah. She absolutely loves being up in front of people. But come a little closer to me here. There we go. We got to make sure for the camera we're good here. All right. So um, I'm going to give you this coin. Uh, you can take it and put it in your hand. And I want you to hold it tightly. Okay. I gave her a dime. And so for the sake of our conversation today, this could represent the 10% that we've been talking about. It just, really, it just represents our treasure. Okay. And so what I want you to do, I just want you to hold on to that dime as tight as you can. And no matter what I do, don't let go of it, okay? And so here's the deal. Um, it, it, it's like this, that, that if, 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 you, if I gave you this and you hold on to it, by holding on to it, the problem is this, is that what God is saying is, God is saying, I want to pour out blessing into your life. But by holding on to that one dime, you, you can't receive what I want to pour into your life. 
And, and, and here's the deal, you know. You, you can hold on to that dime. You've been given a free will. And you can hold on to that and protect it and guard it. But here's the deal. You have no idea the unlimited resources that I have. And so, see, the way this is intended to live out is, is I just want to pour it into your life, but you're holding on to it so tightly, you can't receive it. You're, you're hanging on to that little bit when I got all, unlimited resources, and you can't, you can't receive it. <laughs> so listen, no, here's the way we're intended to live, is, is we're intended to live this way. Release it. Give it away. You give it away. And I fill it. You give it away, and I'm gonna fill it. You give it away, and I'm gonna fill it. Give it away, because I'm gonna keep filling it. Give it both hands. Come on, give, I'm gonna fill it, you give it. I'm gonna fill it, you give it. I'm gonna fill it, and I'm not just gonna fill it with money. I'm talking, I'm gonna fill it with, with purpose. I'm gonna fill it with peace. I'm gonna fill it with joy. I'm gonna fill it with love. I'm gonna fill it with strength. I'm going to fill it with power. I'm going to fill it with everything that I have. That's how we're intended to live. And God says, test me on this. Yeah, you can sit down. Woo, praise the Lord. Now, <laughs> oh, somebody's going to have to pick all that up. Guess what? I'm just walking on God's pavement. I mean, the stuff that we put so much value in. And, and come on, here's the deal. Here's the best part of this whole thing. I want you to understand, first of all, what I am preaching. I am not preaching some sort of prosperity gospel. That's, that's not what I'm preaching at all, you know, that this is somehow the formula to accumulate more. I'm not talking about that at all. What I'm talking about here is fulfilling the purpose for which God created us for, to be conduits to where he pours blessing into our lives that in return we just allow to flow out of us into the lives of other people and to bless them and to just spread the love of Jesus Christ. You can clap, it's okay. Hey, it's okay to have fun in church once in a while, right? My, my uncle used to say that most church people look like they've been weaned on a pickle, like they've been sucking persimmons or something like that. So it's okay to have joy. We're, we're talking about fulfilling the purpose that God created us for, to be conduits where he works through us in order to reveal his love and his grace and his mercy and his heart to a world who so desperately needs to encounter him. The awesome thing is this, is, is whenever we practice radical generosity, what, what we're doing is, is we're not just opening our hands, but what we're really doing is we're opening our entire lives to a God who has already poured out everything for us. I think it's interesting that when Jesus hung on the cross, they put him on a cross. Could have killed him in a lot of different ways. But they put him in a position 
where he couldn't hold on to anything. <laughs> Why? He didn't have anything to hold on to. He'd already given it all away. This is, this is what we're celebrating during this Advent, Advent season. We're celebrating the fact that we serve a radically generous God who revealed himself through a radically generous Savior and created us to be conduits of his radical generosity. The question is, are you going to live like this or will you live like this? I'm telling you, it'll make all the difference in the world. And so as we close this morning, here's the challenge that I have for you. Number one, if you've not yet opened your heart and your life up to this radically generous God, my challenge is don't wait another second. <laughs> Do it now. Do it now. In faith, this is our first act of giving. In faith, we give all that we are to him who has already given all that he is for us. And so this morning, if, if you haven't made that step, if you're watching online, if you're here today, I'm going to lead you in that prayer in just a moment so you can take that step. And my challenge is don't wait. Number two, if you have taken that step, but, but the truth is you've been more on the receiving end and the holding in than the giving in. My challenge is Malachi 3, test him. God's invitation is, is test me on this. And I know that if, if giving has not been part of your regular habit, then 10% sounds crazy. I mean, if I'm having difficulty living on 100%, how in the world am I going to live on, on 90%? I can't explain it. God must like cook the books or something. All I know is in his economy, 90% goes further than my 100%. And so I want to encourage you, take that step of faith, test him on this. And then number three, for those of you who have been faithful in the area of giving and you, you practice, it's just part of your discipline, it's part of your habit, you're faithful to the tithe. First of all, thank you. It's because of your faithful giving that the doors have been able to be kept open, especially during these crazy COVID days. It's because of your giving that there are people who have taken the step of, of moving from not having faith to moving into faith, from stepping into eternity because you sowed seeds, and we see the harvest being reaped. So I want to first of all say thank you, but I have a challenge for you too. I want to encourage you, move further into a place of radical generosity. Keep testing God. I don't think he has any limits. I don't think that we can get into a position where we can outgive him. Maybe the best way that we could live is to enter into a giving contest with God. It's awesome to lose. <laughs> but I challenge you, 
Live a life of radical generosity. And when we talk about that, we're not just talking about, you know, the tithe, that's the minimum requirement. We're talking about living a life of radical generosity where it's, God, you've given me so much, you've blessed me so much, I love you so much, I just can't help but give back. And, and, and not just give to the church, man. Tip your waiters like crazy. Give to the homeless shelters. Buy somebody a meal. Grab them a cup of coffee. Man, bake your neighbors a, a tray of cookies and take them over. Just live a life where you're constantly giving and giving and giving. I'm telling you, you won't find any more satisfaction. It'll make you more like Jesus. It'll draw you closer to Jesus. It'll strengthen your faith. And you'll discover that you always get more in return than what you gave. So Father, this morning as we wrap up this time together, we recognize the fact that you are a radically generous God. And if this Advent season tells us anything, it tells us that because of your divine love, that you just, your character is such that you just couldn't help it. You had to give. And it wasn't like, you, you, I mean, you could have given us anything from heaven and it would have been better than what we had. But you didn't do that. You gave us your best. <laughs> you gave us your son. And because of your gift, it changed everything. And so today, Father, I pray for those who you're tugging at their heart and they've, they've never entered into a relationship with you. Maybe they've, they've had questions, they've thought about it, they've wondered about it, but there's been this fear that, man, you're just going to take everything from me. Not understanding that you're a God who gives. Sometimes the stuff that you want to take out of our hands is kind of like with the dime, is you want to take that little bit out so you can pour way more in. Today, I pray that there would be those who are watching online, maybe some here this morning, who would open up their hearts and say, Jesus, I receive you today. I need you. I invite you into my life. I want to I figure out what it looks like to follow you, to be your disciple, to be your child. So I invite you in. Today in faith, I pray for those who have received you. Father, for those of us that have taken that step and we've received the greatest gift that we could ever receive, and God, you're pulling at our hearts. You're, you're calling us to be a part of what you're doing in the world, redeeming it, changing it, restoring it, fixing the things that are broken. And we recognize this morning, you don't need us to do that, but it's for our benefit you have invited us to be a part of what you're doing. And today, Lord, I pray for those who have maybe held on to just open their hands and release not just, not just our treasure, but our, maybe it's our time, our talents, our passions, our abilities, all that we are. Step into your mission. And Father, I pray for all of us that you would help us to move into the place where we just live lives of radical generosity. Wherever we go, 
there's just an upgrade in the environment whenever we walk in. It's not because of us, it's because who's in us, flowing through us. Let us be conduits of your grace and your mercy and your kindness and your love, your generosity. We pray all these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.